Good morning, everybody. I uh, would love to have you take out your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians 4. If you need a Bible, there are red ones. Uh, it should be around you on the row you're in, either in the seat in front of you underneath it or at the end of the row if you're in one of the benches. Man, it is so good to be together. Good to, good to see you. Uh, how many of you started school over this last, this last week or so? Yep. Uh, we're going to be doing in uh, a little bit toward the end of our service, we're doing a backpack blessing. Some of you maybe have already done it if you're in second service too. But I uh, want to just recognize those who are involved in shaping young people or in those who are uh, going to school and learning and growing. That This is a part of God's mission in the world and so excited about that. Excited we're going to be ending our teaching time this morning with communion coming to the Lord's table. And just sort of recentering our lives on Jesus and uh, what Jesus has done for us in giving his own life, but also who Jesus is as the Lord of the church. Uh, we've been studying for the last seven weeks, we've been studying these seven letters in the first part of Revelation, Revelation chapters two and three. And um, just to sort of catch us all up to speed, we, we've been looking at these seven letters that were written to seven real, literal churches. Uh, that were in cities around Asia Minor, which Asia Minor is modern-day Turkey. And these letters, if you have a Bible, uh, I don't know how many of you have Bibles where the words of Jesus are written in red. Anybody have Bibles like that, red-letter Bibles? These letters are written in red letters because these are the words of Jesus through the Apostle John given to the church. And so over the last seven weeks, we've been listening to what Jesus has been saying to these churches— and also thinking about, what does this mean for us? What does it mean for Journey? Journey Mennonite Church, this multi-site church, living uh, where we do in this time, in this world that we do. What does Jesus say to us? And so over these last like seven weeks, what we've been doing is asking you as a congregation to say, what do you think Christ is saying to us as the church? Are there messages of a Jesus just saying, Here, here's an image of me you need to hold on to. Are there words of, of, of affirmation where Jesus would look at us as a church and say, well done, uh, you're, you're, you're faithful to me, you're doing these things well. Are there places where Jesus might look at us as a church and say, but I have this against you. Like there are some critiques, there are some things you're missing, some blind spots. And then what are the promises that Jesus might be making to us, uh, to those who are faithful, who stay the course? All four of these letters, or all seven of these letters, have had these four pieces. And this is how we've looked at these seven letters. But over these last weeks, we've been asking you to, to submit these things. And we've gotten um, just a, a flood of feedback from this. We've gotten, I will say this, we got more feedback from the other two campuses than we did from South Edge Campus. So let that be a critique from your pastor to you. Um, <coughs> so, with, yeah, I, I mean, we really do believe that God speaks. Uh, God speaks to his people, and he speaks through his people. We need to hear that, and so we take that seriously. Um, so this morning, uh, we're going to do, be doing things a little bit differently. The letter that has come from you all from the body of Christ, is going to be the bulk of our teaching. And we want to kind of let this letter, uh, let this letter speak to us. I want to frame it a little bit, this eighth letter, the letter to Journey Mennonite Church. Um, because I think it's important maybe to just understand how God speaks to us. 
how we as a church understand God speaking. And if I was going to ask you that question, how, how does God speak to us? How does God reveal his will to his people? I would hope we would all say, well, primarily through Scripture, and in Scripture, primarily through Jesus, <clears throat> that Jesus is the clearest picture of God's will. But then we have to ask the question, but, but what does it mean for us, like with the specific challenges we're facing as a church? How, because maybe the challenges of that early church, they don't reflect the exact challenges we're facing. So how does God speak real, like, messages that are relevant in real time today? Well, here are a couple different ways of thinking about it. Some churches, some denominations would say this. God speaks to leaders. There are called out leaders, special anointed ones who um, are ordained and set apart. And what happens is these leaders go up on a mountaintop, which is really hard in Kansas, um, which is why you should take a retreat and go to Colorado. But these leaders go up on a mountaintop and they hear from God and then they come back and they say, thus saith the Lord. And everybody sort of falls in line with that. That's how some churches, some denominations see this. This is how God speaks. This is not how Journey understands this. The second option is, is this. Well, God speaks directly to individuals. That every person has their sort of, um, if you have a phone and you have, you have um, a, the ability to connect to the internet, sort of anywhere in the world, right? That this is a, a picture of how we are with God, that we have this ability to receive these whispers from God, direction from God, anywhere, anytime, as individuals. So what happens is we gather, like, or in the mornings, you know, you open up your Bible, you have a, a quiet time, a time to just center yourself and listen to what God is saying, and then God speaks to you as an individual for you as an individual, and that's where it ends. This is how some churches, lots of Protestant churches, see God communicating in this way. Anabaptist churches, which we are one, um, we Anabaptists, we tend to, to, to look at the way Scripture teaches a little bit differently. We say that God speaks to individuals, that any individual can hear from God, absolutely. But then what we do is we submit that to the discernment of the body of Christ. Um, so you won't hear Anabaptists very often saying, Thus saith the Lord. You know, like, have you ever heard somebody tell me, or tell you this? Maybe you've heard them tell me this, too, because it's happened. Um, God told me to tell you this. Or I've, I've gotten before, God told me that you should do this. And normally it's like, but wait a second, I think that's just something you don't really want to do, and now you're asking me to do that. Um, sort of the cynical side uh, coming out. But so Anabaptists tend not to say that. What we tend to say is, I think I heard God say. Like, I, I think I heard God say, and we humbly submit that then to the discernment of the body of Christ. Why? Because everybody else is filled with the Spirit as well and can listen and can discern. And so there's this power in, in, in saying we need times as a church where we come like this to gather for worship, but which direction are all the chairs pointing? They're all pointing to the front. And what we can start to think, it, God is going to speak to us from the front. And whoever's standing up front is going to be the one who speaks all the time on God's behalf. That's why we encourage you to not have this be the only environment where you experience church, but to have places where the chairs are facing each other. Because it reminds us that we need this other person, and this other person needs us, and God might be speaking to us for the other person, and God might be speaking to the, through the other person for us. This is, we submit it to the discernment of the body of Christ. 
And so just as we go into this eighth letter, as we go into a letter that has, has come out of, from you all, that has been shaped by your responses, I think it's important for us to understand that, that this is a submission from the church to the church to say, what do we, what do, we do with this now? And then one other word of just kind of introduction before we have some folks read the letter. It comes from Ephesians 4, 11 to 13. Um, just talking about the body of Christ, the church. It says this, so Christ gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people, the church, for works of service. Uh, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach a unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Uh, if you remember last fall, we did this whole series called Fivefold, where we looked at these gifts, these five gifts that, that God places in the church through His Spirit. And you, if you've surrendered your life to Jesus, if you've opened up to the Spirit in your life, you have these gifts at work inside of you. And you have them uh, probably not in equal proportion, but you have a gift or a couple of gifts that are stronger than others. Some of you are apostles. We have apostles in this room. And your job, your role in the body of Christ is to keep us moving forward. You are dreamers. You are constantly dreaming about new things, next steps, new risks to take, um, new hills to climb. And, and you know you're an apostle when, like, you haven't even started the thing you've been dreaming about before you're dreaming about the next thing, right? This is, this is the beautiful gift of the apostle. And so that's a, it's a gift in the church. And you will hear the voice of the apostle in this letter. You'll hear the voice of the prophet. You know what the prophet does? Afflicts the comfortable and comforts the afflicted. The voice of the prophet speaks truth that nobody really wants to hear. And we need the voice of the prophet. And our tendency is to like uh, deflect it away. Say, no, 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 I don't really want to hear that. But Christ has given a prophets in the church. And some of you in this room are prophets. And you boldly and humbly speak truth that we need to hear. So we want to hear it. Evangelists, those of you who are evangelists, you make sure we're living as good news people. You make sure that our church, that our lives, that our voices are, are, are inviting others to experience the good news of Jesus. And so you keep us as a welcoming church who invites others to put their trust in Jesus. There are shepherds. Uh, shepherds are full of compassion and grace and love, and shepherds want to make sure everyone is cared for and everybody is okay and everybody has what they need. Some of you have this beautiful gift of, of shepherding, and you'll hear the voice of the shepherd in this letter. And finally, there are teachers, and some of you are teachers, and your passion is to make sure people are learning and growing and putting deep roots down <clears throat> so you can grow mature in Christ. And you will hear the voice of the teacher in this letter. And so, um, felt like it would, it would be good for me not to read the letter, but since the letter is coming from the congregation, to have voices from the congregation read it. So uh, you do have a copy of it in your bulletin, but this is like the worst like teaching mistake ever is to say, hey, here's the paper. Don't look at it, right? Keep it turned over uh, later. Um, of course I'm going to look at it. But I, would, I guess I would encourage you, you can look at it if you want to while they read, but I would encourage you to just listen to it. Because there's, for, for the first 1,500 years of the church, Nobody had their own copy of the scriptures. You came to church and you listened to God's word being spoken, being read. And there's something powerful about that. So I'd, I'd invite you to just to listen 
to this letter, the letter to Journey Mennonite Church. the angel of the multi-site church of Journey Mennonite. These are the words of the risen Christ, the victorious king who has been given all authority in heaven and on earth and holds the future in his hands. He is light above that covers his people in love and light within that gives us access to God. He is like Flint, a fire starter that ignites passion in our hearts. He is the giver of all life the source of all light, and one who is both friend and moyer, lion and lamb, first and last, beginning and end. His arms are open wide. He hears our prayers and serves as our faithful witness. You are a remnant people who have caught my kingdom vision. You truly welcome everyone like your mission statement says, accepting them, loving them, because they too are made in God's image. You strive to be kingdom people in the culture, reaching out to the communities where you live, work, and play, showing compassion and doing good deeds in my name. You have a good reputation in the communities you serve, and you continue to step through each door I show you. Your vision is clear. Your ministry's innovative all because you listen to the Holy Spirit and allow my spirit to lead. You have sound biblical teachers who help you understand and apply my word, and yet you hunger for more. There are some among you who are relentlessly seeking me. Don't back off. Learn my ways. Follow my lead. And teach new believers what it means to be my disciples. Well done good and faithful servants. But these things I have against you. Your lives reveal that many things are more important than me. You put on a good show on Sundays, but be careful. You were never designed to be spectators. Your lack of commitment and desire for comfort turn my stomach. Do you only eat one meal a week, feasting on Sundays, then starving all week long? There is more to church than just showing up. Share in the ministry. Engage in the small groups. Children, youth, college students, and adults, there is more I desire for you. But it appears as though you're too busy with the good to experience the great. I have given you 24 hours in a day, and yet somehow they all seem full. Sacrifice some of your time on the altar for me. Purge busyness from your life. You cannot help someone else when you're always in a hurry. Sadly, there are many among you who are content with spiritual immaturity, infants and adolescents who don't do the work between Sundays to grow up. And for those who call themselves spiritual adults and parents, who are you reaching back to help along? Like a willow tree, your branches are many, reaching out to the community, but your roots are shallow. Apart from my living water, you would surely wither and die. You have abundant resources and great facilities, but what for? Remember, to whom much is given, much will be required. You focus far too much on money and buildings. 
This has given you a false sense of security and led you to look like the world around you. Stop living according to your flesh. And don't let these gifts make you complacent, for I have much more for you to accomplish. Therefore, invest. Invest in me and one another. Be vulnerable so that others can discover the love and support they need to grow. Restore brokenness gently. And stop worrying about being perfect and let grace abound. Build community within the church, not just with those in the community. Keep your circles open and put me at the center. I have lit a flame in you that burns in the darkness. If you heed my call and fan that flame, I will give you life filled with abundant strength, creativity, and joy. Your roots will grow deep like an oak tree as you learn to hear what my spirit is saying and understand what I desire for you. When hardships and trials come, and they will, those of you who have put down deep roots will stand strong. Out of your deep intimacy with me, you will teach your physical children and spiritual children to love me, hear my voice, and follow me. Your radical, unending love for me will transform your communities. Even other churches will unite around the victorious living of those at Journey. Journey will be a pillar of God's temple on earth, a beacon of light. An example to others that I am not far off, but present among you. Take the kingdom path. I know you and love you and call you by name. Some of you will suffer greatly because of this radical call to follow me. Even so, I am your strength. I go before you, calling you forth and extending mercy and grace. You will receive a special place at my great banquet table. The great feast that I am preparing for you is bigger than your dreams. My desire is for all my sons and daughters to live with me forever, and together we will gather in sweet fellowship. Step boldly into the mess of life like I stepped into humanity. Help others to walk in victory, and I will abundantly bless your faithfulness. Whoever has ears, Let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So my light, oh, there it is. Okay, my light <clears throat> is staying red. I think maybe that means I'm not supposed to talk anymore. Uh, <laughs> yeah, come on. <laughs> Who is that from? Was that? Like, thanks, Larry. <clears throat> Amen. Um, <laughs> so let's, uh, in all seriousness, so let's take a minute and, and reflect on this. You have a copy of it in front of you. Uh, you have some blank space on the bulletin insert where normally there are some sermon notes. And take a minute, what, what images grab you? What, what messages sort of stick with you? What do you maybe have a sense that, yeah, I, I, this rings true to me. This might be something God is saying to me and to us. So just uh, take, take a minute and, uh, and reflect on it a bit.
throughout these letters. And if you, yeah, if you feel like, yeah, you just want to keep writing, keep reflecting, pay no attention to me, just keep right on doing what you're doing. That's totally fine. Um, throughout these letters, these seven letters in Revelation, Jesus is often revealed as the one who walks among the churches. He sort of walks among the churches and holds the church in his hands. And, and I love that image of just even, even here as we gather in this place, like what does it mean that Jesus is walking among us? That, that he's here, he's with us, he's speaking words of comfort and grace and hope and also critique and truth. What do we hear Jesus saying to us this morning as the church? I, um, these, are, these are just a couple of things that I heard in the letter. Uh, I read this for the first time on Wednesday. <clears throat> and um, things, that, things that I hear and maybe similar to, to what you hear, and I'll just, just real quickly um, kind of run through these, that the busyness, if, if there was a, uh, if our culture was diagnosed with a chronic illness, it would be busyness, I think. That <clears throat> we run at an unsustainable pace. And I run at an unsustainable pace. And here's the, the place where this gets so tricky. Is because it's held in really high esteem by the culture, we wear busyness like a badge of honor. And I had a really busy week, <clears throat> and that makes us feel productive, and it makes us feel good about ourselves, and it makes us think we look good in the eyes of others. And the reality is, it's actually a failure. It's a, it's a failure to live the way God intended us to live. And I, I heard this critique in my own life, and um, I admit and confess that I do not set a good example this, uh, that I, I, I have some of you who, who will talk to me and send me an email or call and say, Eric, uh, hey, I want to talk. I'm sorry, I know you're so busy. And that, to me, is like a mirror that just sort of reflects truth back. And it's, it's, it's painful because that is not the kind of example that Christ sets for us. You read the Gospels. And Jesus was never in a hurry. He's never in a hurry. And he calls us to follow him, to live an unhurried life. What does it mean to purge busyness from our lives? Maybe you notice there's a misspelling in this. Um, under the critiques, it says purge business from your lives. It should be busyness. So you can make that change, or you can just add the word funny in front of business. So purge funny business from your life. You can do that too. So this, this busyness, what does it mean? What does it mean to create white space? What does it mean to stop? What does it mean to have margin in our lives when we stop moving and we listen to the voice of the Spirit? Sometimes people ask me about journey, like other pastors, and they say, hey, what's journey like? I feel like you should meet these people. Um, they are the most just beautiful people I've ever met in my life. Those grace-filled, loving, generous, sacrificial people I have ever met in my lives. And I mean that with all sincerity. And, and the things that, like just the way compassion is lived out in the church, 
is unbelievable. People are just passionate about the mission of God and passionate about community. But if there was a shadow mission that I think Journey gets called into, gets tempted to, to, to sort of fall into, the shadow mission I think could be this. Journey Mennonite Church, we get stuff done. And again, we can talk about that as a badge of honor. It says like we, are, we do so much stuff. And so much good stuff, and it's true. And yet, if we're not carving out space to be filled, to stay connected to Christ, who is the one who puts our roots deep into his soil that refreshes us and nourishes us, we're going to burn out. We're not going to have anything of value to offer. And so I hear, I hear this critique. And, um, and so... Maybe, maybe there are other themes. We won't take time to go through all of these, but, but encourage you. Take this letter. Um, this, is, this is up for discernment. To, this is our job now to say, what does this mean for us? What does this mean for us as a church? Are there changes we need to make? Are there things we need to pour more energy into? Things like that. Um, and so I'd encourage you in your missional communities, small groups, Sunday school classes, talk about this. Reflect on it and, uh, and see where it goes. But we thought, as, as we kind of went through the, toward the end of this week, felt like it would be really good to just end our service with, with communion. Um, to, to remind ourselves of, of Jesus, who is the Lord of the church. It, this Jesus who said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not be able to withstand it. Um, there's this beautiful line right at the beginning of the book of Acts. And it's, it's so subtle we miss it most of the time. But in Acts chapter 1, verse 1, Luke, who's writing the book of Acts, he says this. In my previous account, and he's writing this to the, this, this man Theophilus, he says, In my previous account, I began to write about all the things that Jesus said and did. And again, you just sort of go on and start reading the book of Acts. But he, Luke slides this very subtle hint in there that says Jesus is not done working. In, in the Gospel of Luke, he's saying, I, I began to write about all that Jesus began to do. And the implication is that Jesus is still doing stuff, but he does it through the church. And so to come back and to say, Jesus, we submit to you, we surrender to you, we want to hear you, we want to hear the voices of affirmation and grace, and we want to hear the voices of, of truth and critique. And... Um, and to just sort of surrender ourselves to that. And so, that's what we're going to do. Um, worship team is going to come up and, and play some music. And we um, are going to make our way to the table, if, if you'd like to, if, if you're um, comfortable with that. We will take the bread and dip it in the cup. This is the body of Christ and the blood of Christ um, that he's shed for us to redeem us, to save us, to restore us, and to send us on mission into his world. And so we take this as a reminder that Jesus is Lord of the church. You can come forward. Uh, as the music begins to play, you can come forward, or there's a station at the back, too. There'll be servers there uh, who will serve you.